0: How many of us are uncomfortable driving on those high mountain roads, pardon me, that don't have guardrails? A few of you, I'm actually raising my hand even though I like those kinds of roads. You know, I think about a road like this. This is, I think, Route 550 in Colorado. It goes over uh, three 10,000-foot mountain passes most of the way with these cliffs and curves that lack guardrails. Does that make people nervous? Any of you just like get nervous even thinking about that? A few of you? Um, I remember in Glacier National Park the summer I spent there, I actually had the opportunity not only to drive a road like that, but by moonlight to ride my bike down a road like that. It was exhilarating. Probably not very wise, but quite exciting. Uh, but maybe worse than driving a road like that is being in the passenger seat on a road. Anyone with me on this? Like, yeah, Okay, a few more hands go up on that. This brings back a specific childhood memory. This is one uh, Highway 1 down by Big Sur. And I specifically remember, I don't even know where we were going on vacation, probably down to see family in L.A. But I remember being on the road as a family and my dad driving uncomfortably, fast along this road, and my mom vocalizing her concerns quite loudly, a lot of slow down, a lot of slow down. It was very tense. And, uh, you know, we have those moments, right, where we, maybe it's harder when you're not in control. But guardrails are helpful. Uh, Guardrails are often comforting. They certainly can bring safety. In fact, another case in point, sorry if this makes you nervous, but I've been reading about this this week. This is called the youngest road, if I'm pronouncing that right. Oh, by the way, I understand that that actually means the road of death, so there you go. Uh, it connects all of these mountain villages with uh, the city of La Paz in Bolivia. And uh, to one side, as you can see, you have solid rock. It's like this pretty much the whole way. And the other side, uh, you have typically two, 3,000-foot drop-off. And in between those two is about 12 feet. That's considered a two-lane road. Uh, this is regularly named as one of the most dangerous routes and uh, it's cut through this mountain chain. It was put there in the 1930s. Most of it's unpaved. It almost entirely lacks guardrails. To make it better, uh, the, the winds coming off the Amazon are really warm and humid and so often it's fogged out. There's rain uh, there are mudslides. It's off. It's typical to see rocks stumbling down. There's, in fact, a number of places where small waterfalls come across the road, so it's constantly wet and washed out. It sounds awesome, doesn't it? And uh, it's, it's, it's said that it's not unusual to experience all four seasons. Just in the, the short distance of this road, you might see rain, snow, and sun all on the same trip. Now, here's what's interesting. There's special rules about this road. Uh, One of which is, even though you drive on the right-hand side of the road in Bolivia, on the north youngest road, uh, you are required to drive on the left because a driver on the left has a better view of the edge of the road. Doesn't that sound fun? Comforting, isn't it? Um, To make things even more uncomfortable, descending vehicles don't ever have the right-of-way and are supposed to move to the very outer edge of the road to make as much room as possible for other cars to go by. The idea, by the way, of the downhill cars having to stop is that this would um, slow down faster vehicles and, and make them uh, help others negotiate safely. By the way, this is a tourist attraction. People like travel to Bolivia for the purpose of experiencing this road. I don't understand that. Uh, but it's a great reminder that guardrails are helpful, they're comforting, and they can bring safety, and certainly there are a number of places I simply wouldn't want to drive without them. But what I want to recognize this morning is that these same guardrails that bring safety uh, and comfort can in fact become problematic when we consider our faith. When we talk about Our faith, our relationship with God, the journey that we are on in this life, we we can consider the guardrails as God's commands, the rules, the law. And in fact, it's very clear in Scripture that those guardrails are given to us so that life will go well, keep us from going off a cliff. Uh, I think of Moses' words in Deuteronomy 6. If you would bring this up on the screen for me, Rick, that would be great. Um, He says this He says, These are the commands, the decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And he says this, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. That's the intention of these cardrails. It says, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Those guardrails, the law, are given to protect our relationship with God. And the intention is so long as we stay between those guardrails, um, they keep us from missing out on this fulfilling and long life that God has for us. The law, those guardrails was also to lead to blessing. Again, if you just bring these up for me, Rick, that'd be great. Uh, Psalm 119 says this at the beginning. It says, Blessed or blessed are those whose way are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow His ways. God's law is intended to act as guardrails, to, uh, to sort of pin us in so we'll head towards blessing, will head towards goodness, will head towards the things of God. However, Paul speaks of how these guardrails themselves can't give life. I think of Romans 8, which says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That's what we just remembered together in Communion. The law these guardrails can keep us from veering off the road. In fact, they can sort of bounce us back in the right direction when needed. What they can't do is actually move us down the road, is one way of, of considering this. The law doesn't change our hearts. It doesn't in itself give life. It's designed to keep us on track and to protect us from falling off those various cliffs. But all the law can do is point out the limits. Keep us from going in the wrong direction. Way back, even in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, what's interesting is where we find what is called the Law of Moses—the law that God gave for His people to follow. It's actually intended to be a means of expressing love towards God through our choices and our actions, and not simply as guardrails, but a way of actually acting, of moving Uh, again and again. in In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, in particular. You'll hear this connected phrase, love the Lord your God and keep his commandments. Um, They're one idea. By keeping the commandments, we're expressing love is sort of the intention. But Paul later in Romans writes that the law was powerless to do this on its own because it was weakened by the flesh. That's us, our, our choices and our brokenness. Rules don't change our hearts towards God on their own. They can protect us, still do. By providing healthy boundaries and pointing out right and wrong. But the law can't save us any more than guardrails can move us down the road. In fact, just as a driver, even with guardrails, can still manage to make bad enough choices that they hurt themselves. That's still the reality with the law. But what we find clearly as we come to the Gospels. Is that Jesus doesn't give a new set of guardrails. He actually moves us down the road towards life. Rather than just limits, there's actually movement. In fact, Jesus' invitation again and again is is what? It's follow me. It implies that there's movement, there's ongoing change, there's something happening. See, Jesus not only gave his life on the cross to do what the law could not, namely to bring forgiveness and to reconcile us to God, but Jesus also has the power to move us down this road towards the life that he promised, the life God has for us. What I want us to understand together this morning is where this road leads, and and also that'll lead us to how the guardrails can be a problem. But if we understand where this road leads, then we are more likely to have the ability to move along it. You see, Jesus did die to cover our sin, but that wasn't all might say in this sort of analogy that Jesus' death on the cross allows us to finally start a car that was broken, that couldn't move. He brings things to life. It's Jesus' death and the forgiveness that he purchased that makes it possible for us to journey down this road that God has for us, to follow God's lead. And I want us to understand that, that in following Jesus, we are in fact on a road that leads somewhere. And that's significant. That's significant. And to understand where it leads, we actually go back to where it begins. And we remember in Genesis 1, verse 26, the, the intention that God has had for us from the beginning. Genesis 1:26 and 27 read this way. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. We were created with intention. We were created with purpose. And that purpose is that we would walk in relationship with God. And as we do that, that we would have the capacity to represent God's goodness and to reflect God's love. To be his likeness. We're made in his image we are to resemble to be a picture of God's goodness and God's love to the world around us. And in fact, this is what was damaged by sin. It's our ability to accurately re- reflect, to accurately represent God as we were intended to. And our ability to walk in relationship with God was damaged as well, making it uh, impossible for us to partner with God and his creative work as we were intended to. That's where the road begins. That's what we were created for. And it's also where the road that we are on as followers of Jesus leads us to. I want you to hear the words of John. This is from 1 John chapter 3. He says this. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. I should just pause there and note that being called children of something denoted more than who your your dad or your mom was. It's like you are a little version of them is kind of the idea here. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And he writes, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We hear echoes of Genesis 1 here. We were created in the image of God and now because of Christ and what has happened, we are now actually being saved into, conformed into the likeness of Christ, who is the perfect representation of God. This road that we're on in faith leads us to a place where we shall be like Jesus. Is those created in God's image and saved through his love. Our road even in this life is to be actively leading us and moving us towards more and more being like Jesus. Being his likeness. Paul, uh, actually, this when you start watching for this idea, it actually is kind of all over the scriptures. But Paul writes of this in Romans 8. He says, uh, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, this passage, if you've grown up in the church or get in theological conversations, this is kind of a, a hot button one because of the words foreknew and predestined are in there. And I think because so much energy is spent on trying to understand those words, we sometimes miss what's right in front of us. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. That's where faith is leading us, to becoming Christ-like. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that in Christ we are to reflect the Lord's glory. Pretty big idea. And Paul says that we are being transformed into his image with this ever-increasing glory. He contrasts us to a story in the Old Testament with Moses who veiled his face after seeing God and says, no, we have unveiled faces in Christ. We are actually being transformed to the image of Christ to look like Jesus in our lives. So the goal is to be moving down the road towards Christ-likeness. And yet I find, especially when things start to feel shifty or dicey or uncomfortable or scary or unknown it's really easy to fix our eyes on the guardrails instead of fixing them ahead. It's frighteningly easy, in fact, to make staying on the road the goal rather than moving down the road towards change the goal. I think it's, in fact, easy sometimes to begin to think that just because we aren't touching the guardrails, because we're staying in the middle of the road, Avoiding bad things that that means we 're walking in the life that God has for us, when in fact, we might be standing still and failing to walk at all in the forward footsteps of Jesus towards that goal that God has for us of transformation into his likeness. in fact, I would say I wouldn't encourage you to try this, but I would suggest that it's really hard to move down a road when your focus and your vision is fixed only on the guardrails. It's probably not going to go real well. This is where things become problematic. This is where those guardrails, that law that was intended for our good, can become problematic for us because it's very easy for our focus to get on those guardrails, which causes us to fall into one of two traps. The first trap is that we can't take our eye off them. Those are our safety net. Those are... Uh, What bring comfort? And so our goal begins to be to stay inside the lines. By the way, this is what legalism is. Legalism uh, isn't always manifest as this nasty, critical, holier-than-thou attitude like we think of. Legalism is simply living as though staying between those lines is the goal. In other words, the idea that what God has for us in this life is simply to avoid the bad stuff and do the good stuff. And as long as we do that... We're good. As long as we stay between the lines, between the guardrails, that's enough. This is the mentality of legalism. And quite frankly, when that's how we understand faith, it's something we can sort of control. And in that, sometimes we falsely find comfort. We can fall into this trap of making those guardrails our focus and believing that so long as we don't bump into them, we're in God's will. But we also can fall into this other trap of seeing just how close we can get to them. Right? Right? And still be safe. Testing the bounds of our freedom. Maybe even bumping off the road on a regular basis. This is what uh, some would call the sort of carnal mindset. This idea of believing in God. But living as though he doesn't exist. And the choices we make. And the things we do. And the way we speak. And the way we treat one another. Simply seeking to satisfy our cravings. Seeing how close we can get. Rather than honoring God. As followers of Jesus, I think we know this danger all too well. And so because of that, it isn't surprising really that the guardrails themselves can become our focus because we understand doing that isn't right. So we sort of turn to the opposite, which also isn't necessarily helpful. Either way, what's needed is to fix our eyes forward, to move towards God's intention for our lives. Pardon me. And again, those guardrails, they do bring safety until they become a distraction, until they become the goal. Our calling, and we know this, our calling isn't to be more religious. Our calling isn't simply to be uh, higher morality than the people around us. But it's to begin to see and to understand the world as Jesus did, so that we can walk in his footsteps and more and more and more each day, even in tiny ways, resemble God's love and goodness. In short, our calling is to become Christ-like. Greg Brock, who did a great job last week, he and I have had some conversations in the last few months about, we tend to use the term Christ-centered in churches, which isn't bad, but I think what we're really saying is we stay between the guardrails. And there's a big difference between the goal of being Christ-centered and the goal of being Christ-like. Christ-like doesn't mean you can't be Christ-centered, obviously, but Christ-centered is more about what I believe and think, and I stay between the places I'm not supposed to be, whereas Christ-like actually means I'm moving. I'm allowing God to be at work in my life. I'm being transformed. I'm actually beginning to look more and more like Jesus. So the obvious question comes up of how do we do that? How do we become like Christ? Well, obviously we don't do that by just trying harder. We don't do it on our own. There's all sorts of promises of how God's spirits at work in us, and we simply partner with what God's doing. And I think the problem isn't typically that we don't want to change or that we aren't trying to change. That's sometimes the case. But more often than not, I think the problem is we just aren't moving. Maybe we're waiting to know which way to go exactly. I remember uh, a conversation I had in college with a professor that I really appreciated, who I thought was wise, and I was trying to decide between two different uh, opportunities in front of me, and I didn't know which was right. And his loving response was basically, it's hard to steer a donkey that isn't moving. Sometimes we get caught in that place of we don't know which way to go, and, and yet in this life of faith and following Christ, it requires movement. It requires risk. It requires stepping forward in faith at times. The problem isn't that we don't want to change. It's often just that we aren't moving. We're sitting between the guardrails safely, hoping that when that big moment comes, we'll do the right thing. Rather than following the ways of Jesus, that sometimes seem significant even in the everyday things of life, taking tiny steps down towards that path that leads us to transformation. Again, we watched a video about it. You're aware that our community groups, uh, we're going to be embarking on this time together in this book called The Good and Beautiful Life. The reason we're doing this, one, is to all be on the same page. It's kind of a fun, unique opportunity as a church to all kind of be thinking about the same thing. But we want to be heading towards the same goal. And we want to be clear that, that our goal is to be more like Jesus this year. As I think about a year from now, we'll be thinking, I can't believe it's already 2021. We'll be in the same place of coming off the holidays, Lord willing. Uh, My prayer for us is that we won't be the same people. That we will have taken steps together over this year to become more like Jesus. That when you look at me and I look at you, a year from now, I would love to see a little more clarity of Jesus in you and in me. I don't want to just stay between the lines, but to move forward together with what God has for us to take risk. And so i just say on, on that regard, if you aren't a part of a community group, well, it's a great time to do it. It's going to be 10 to 12 weeks. Uh, you don't have to make a forever commitment. And I'd also say whether you're a part of a community, well, I guess if you're not a part of a community group. This doesn't apply. But those of you who are part of a community group, if you're one of those people like, I don't want to read a book, Don't let that stop you. We'll talk that through in our community groups. It's a super helpful tool. Probably the most important part is going to be the the practices that we do together uh, as a group. So don't let that be a hurdle for you. Um, I hope you'll be a part of that. But this morning, beyond all the, the community group stuff, I just want us to consider that our calling is nothing less than to actually be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. When Paul says the old is gone and the new has come, he's referring to this life that we are stepping into, that God's at work in us, changing us, growing us, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I think when we have a vision of anything less for our lives, we're missing on what God has for us. And yet that's an overwhelming thing to think about, isn't it? That, that you or I could actually become transformed to be someone who is a good representation, a good resemblance of Jesus himself. We're called to know less. And what I find is that so often that transformation doesn't come from the big heroic moment. It comes from the things that seem Insignificant. Little daily practices. Put a few of these on the screen. And these these are all things that reflect Jesus, right? These are things we see in the life of Jesus. It's gonna keep flashing. I'm gonna stop touching that, let you bring that up, Rick. Um, but prayer. Friends, prayer is bigger than asking for things. Sometimes prayer is, is very much silence. It's being present with God. It's pouring out our hearts. It's listening. We see some amazing examples where Jesus leaves what everybody wants him to do for the purpose of going and just being in prayer in the presence of the Father. Closely connected to that is this idea of solitude, quiet, stillness. By the way, I think that of this whole list may be our biggest challenge in the culture in which we live. There's noise everywhere. There's always distractions. But this idea of stepping back, these are things that we can build into the rhythm of our day. This isn't about doing more. This is about looking down the road and seeing where we're, we're headed. Things like gratitude. I appreciated, by the way, uh, just to brag on my family a little bit, last Sunday, we had uh, a family church service with my parents and my sister and brother. That was the request of my kids. And uh, my daughter sort of brought some conviction on our whole family, um, brought us back to the Psalms and this idea that, that God isn't looking for our sacrifices. He, doesn't, he tells the people of Israel, I don't need the blood of your goats. I don't need your stuff. What I want is your gratitude. What I want is your heart. And this is a simple practice, right? It's one of those things that doesn't seem significant, like it has the power to change us, to just practice every day, taking a few minutes to give thanks, and yet it transforms us. Because, by the way, gratitude actually leads to the next three. Because when I'm not discontent, but I see everything as a gift and I'm grateful for it, and I practice that as a habit, that makes it way easier to be generous, certainly but it also makes it way easier to want to serve other people, to want to love people when they don't seem to deserve it or I don't want to, right? These things seem small and, and often they don't seem transformational. And Yet it's in many of these simple practices that God transforms us to look more like Jesus. I wonder this morning... Um, whether it's one of these things or or something else. What does forward movement look like for you in your walk with Christ? What is is a small step towards resembling Jesus, following the example and life of Jesus? What does that look like? And don't think in big grandiose terms, but something that's doable, something that could be put into practice. In Romans 12, Paul writes this as our calling In fact, he's writing to a group of people that, that the way they knew how to worship God was to give God stuff, whether that was pagan gods or, or as Israelites. And, he, and now they kind of don't know what to do because they're not just giving stuff. That's how they've known worship. And he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that isn't about like jumping on an altar or doing something weird or damaging. It's about offering ourselves who we are as a sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. And he says, this is your true and proper worship. Then the following words say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And with it comes this promise that we'll be able to test and approve what God's good and perfect and pleasing will is. Don't miss that connected to offering ourselves as worship as sacrifice is transformation. That part of what we're choosing to do is not to conform to all the stuff we see around us. Going back to gratitude, one of those is just conforming to that idea that I need more. That is a bedrock value of our culture. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow God to to teach us to think in new ways, to see the world as Jesus sees it. You see, God loves us so much that Jesus came, died on a cross, making a new life possible that we could never attain. God loves us so much that we've not only been reconciled to God, But now God invites us as partners in the redemption of the world. It's an amazing reality. We do this by reflecting God's love and goodness as we become more and more like Jesus. I want to challenge us, and myself included in this, not to settle for staying inside the guardrails. I'm not saying drive off the road, but let's move down the road. Let's see the guardrails as assistants that are there to help keep us moving on the path that leads to this goal of transformation into the likeness of Jesus. As I close us in prayer this morning, I again just want to invite you to consider one small thing, small practice. It's realistic for you this week to walk in the example of Jesus. One small step down the road towards the goal of transformation. And let's ask God's Spirit to direct us. Father, help us to have a vision for the life you've called us to in Christ. Help us to understand that you have called us to more than being right or being better. You've called us to actually resemble Jesus. That's a big calling. We would ask this morning that you would help us to continue to move down that road. Would you direct us? Would you reveal to us those simple places where we can practice things like gratitude and prayer and solitude? Not to check a religious box but to be committed and moving towards transformation into the likeness of Jesus. I would pray for us as a congregation and as individuals, Father, that a year from now there's noticeable change, that there's a little more recognition of Jesus and who we are. We love you. We ask you to continue your work in us. And give us wisdom and guidance and how to partner with you in that transformation. Amen.